Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. All right, we're in John chapter 17. We are, have been for quite a while, I don't know when we started, but we have been on one evening with Jesus. He has uh, begun the evening, it's, this is Passover evening. He began the evening by taking his disciples into an upper room. And first thing he did was wash their feet. And taught them that we are to wash one another's feet. And he, be, he, he began that process and then... Then he served them what we're about to, to enjoy later, the communion. He, it was a Passover meal. He took some of the bread. He broke it and said, my body, which is given for you. He took one of the cups after supper and he held it up and said, my blood. What he was doing is saying, I'm going to die. And he was. It was probably uh, at that point several hours and he would be in Gethsemane and arrested. And he's by handing them the bread, he says, do you believe? Do you believe that I'm going to die for your sins? Do you believe that my blood poured out, my violent death that's about to come, will bring you the, good, the new covenant? Do you believe that? And by taking that bread and eating it, they said, yes, Lord, we believe. By drinking that cup, they said, yes, Lord, I believe. It's, they received that truth. They were stepping in by faith to what he was telling them. He then proceeded to teach them that evening some very important lessons it, it's, it's deep lessons. It's lessons of walking in the spirit. And he taught them these things. We'll see in a minute so what some of those topics were. He, he taught that. And then he ended the evening by praying for them. The Bible says he, he looked into heaven. So he lifted his eyes, looked up into heaven, and he began to talk out loud to his father so that the disciples, the 11, could hear. This is somewhere outside. He left the upper room a, a little while back because Judas and the soldiers are looking for him. So it's not time yet. He's still got things to do. So he's avoiding them until he will allow himself to be arrested. And so he's teaching them out under the moonlight and he's praying for them. And he, he opens up and he, and he begins to pray, first of all, for himself. And he asks for this blessing. He says, Father... You promised that I would be given authority over all flesh. I want my promise. He looks right past the cross as though it's done. His resurrection as though it's done. His ascension into heaven as though it's done. And he says, Father, you promised me that you would put all flesh in, and give them uh, to me. And I would, I would be the Lord. I ask for that. I ask for that, that I might give them to you as a gift and glorify you. And he, he, he talked about, he, he, was, he was dealing with two prophecies from the Old Testament. Uh, one says he will seat, sit at his right hand and, and the Lord will, will give him dominion. And he says, Father, I ask that you will give me those promises. Then he began to pray for the, for the 11. These are the men through whom the word of God would come. We would not have it were it not for those 11 men. None, we would have nothing Nothing in the, of, the, of the New Testament would be ours, were it not for those 11 men. They were the ones who, were the, who had been taught 
discipled, trained, disciplined. Uh, he had been pouring into them. They'd watched him. They'd listened to him for the whole time, at least six of them, the entire time of his ministry. They were with him. So they are the ones who are the carriers of the, of the message. And so he prayed, Father, keep them from deception. Watch over them. Protect them. Uh, don't let the devil tempt them. Uh, sanctify them. In other words, lay hold of their hearts that they would follow you and, and, and uh, pick up their cross and, and follow their calling. He, he's, he's just praying over them. And then he turns and he prays for all who would believe on him through their word, which is us. He, began, he saw past the moment. He knew a great church was emerging. There's no question in his mind. He could see, in effect, the billions who would follow and would believe. And he prayed for us. And he poured his heart out. We're going to hear some, one, of one of the things he prays for them and for us, for the 11 and for us. And it's that he, our hearts would be filled with joy. Would you say full of joy? He wanted us to be filled with joy, but not just any kind of joy. He wanted it to be his joy. Say his joy. His That's different from other kinds of joy. What is his joy that we're to be filled with? Holy Spirit, open our ears, open our eyes, soften our hearts. Lord, when we come and listen to you, Jesus, we, we come with absolute submission to your word, that which is true. Lord, just help me get out of the way. We want to hear you today. We want, to, we want to see you. We want you to disciple us. We sit right with those 11 in that moonlight and listen to you pray. Come, Lord, strengthen your people. Feed us now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're in John chapter 17. I will start at verse 13. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world. Do you say these things? These. That's really important. We're going to look at that. He says, these things I speak in the world. In other words, I'm speaking them out loud so that these can hear. So that they may have my joy. There it is. Made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. Because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes... I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf. Here it is. Here, here's where you come into the picture. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Would you say the word one? one. Would you say the word in? in. And us. us. The glory that which you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one just as we are one. Would you say the glory? The glory. I in them and you in me, 
that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me. He's praying this for us. May be with me where I am. Would you say where I am? So that they may see my glory, which you have given me. Now, hang on to your hats. Look at this statement, which you have given me for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Is that amazing? Say before the foundation of the world. There's no question what he just said. Hallelujah. Filled with joy. Possessions don't bring joy. They break, get stolen or we grow bored with them. Haven't you noticed you can you can actually get sort of a high off of off of shopping. You know, you go out and you get this new thing and it's fun for a while. And then it gets broken or spilled on or, or scratched or whatever. And after a while, you can't remember where you put it. You got to go shopping again. Get another fix. Uh, it's 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 a, it's not a real joy. Pleasure doesn't bring joy. The more we seek it, the less we find. Entertainment doesn't bring joy. Much of it leaves us feeling violated or sad. Trying to isolate ourselves from people or problems doesn't bring joy. The more time we spend alone, the more angry we, we, we become. We end up thinking far too much. You can say, I am just going to get away from all of this trouble. I mean, this world is crazy. And you can just say, I'm going to go into my little cave and sit there. And you will get so strange. You will. You'll just get really, really strange. And it's just, it is, this doesn't the way we're made. So when Jesus prayed that we would become full of his joy, he was asking the Father to give us a source of joy that is totally different from all others. His prayer that night was that his source would become our source. And if we listen carefully to his prayer, we discover that he reveals his source. The problem is his source is so different from all, all of ours, it can sound crazy until you try it. To find it, we must walk in the opposite direction of where we would normally go. And isn't that God's way? To find life, we must die to self. To receive, we must freely give away. To be loved, we must learn to love others. And to be filled with joy, we must discover what it means to become one with God. Over the course of that evening, Jesus had taught his disciples certain truths which would enable them to live and minister in the spirit just as he had done. And by doing so, they would be filled with the same joy which had filled him. Here are some of those truths. So when he says, Father, he says, Father, I'm coming to you. And then he says, these things I have spoken in the world so they can hear me. What are those things? Let's, let's just review it. He taught them to remove the daily accumulation of sins. How did he do that? I already mentioned it. He washed their feet. Remember this? And he says, as I've done to you, you're to do to each other. He says, when you accumulate dust as you walk through life, wash one another's feet. He's talking about hear one another's confession, deal with one another's sin, help each other, don't judge each other. He commanded them to love one another. Boy, did he ever. He assured them that they would be, he would prepare a place for them in heaven. He promised them remarkable authority in prayer. He spoke of the coming era in which the Holy Spirit would indwell them. 
He announced that he and the Father would always be with them. He explained the importance of remaining in constant relationship with him. How did he do that? He said, if you abide in me, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Remember? This is out, this is out there. He's, he's walked out of the upper room. I think he's out by one of the vineyards, which is there in the, are there in the Kidron Valley. Uh, he was walking by a vine, and I think he used it. And, obey, and obeying, importance of remaining in constant relationship with him and of obeying his commands. Boy, he said, if you must obey my word, if my word abides in you, and if you do what I tell you. He warned them to expect persecution. He went into to, to detail, I mean real detail, and said, here you go. And he described how the Holy Spirit would partner with them in ministry. Looking back on the past two and a half years, he said, Father, I have given them your word. And as a result, the world hated them because they are no longer submitted to the evil spirit that controls the world. Nor do they pursue its goals, just as I do not submit to the evil spirit that controls the world, nor do I pursue its goals. I think that's what it means when he says, I am not of the world. They are not of the world. You and I are not of the world. We follow a different spirit. There is absolutely a spirit at work in this world. And there is a set of goals and values that this world pursues. And if you follow Jesus, you are detached from that spirit and you head a different direction and everybody can tell it. It simply is glaring. By following him and believing in him, these men had broken with the world. And the world would not fail to notice. Those who were under the devil's control would hate these disciples just as much as they had hated him. But Jesus did not ask the Father to physically rescue them by lifting them up into heaven. They must first fulfill their assignments so that many people would be saved. Instead, he asked the Father to keep them out of the control of the evil one. In other words, he asked that they would be protected from temptations that would disqualify them from ministry, that they would be given discernment and courage so that no distortions or lies would enter their teaching, and certainly that they would be kept safe and well until they had completed their course. He began asking the, by asking the Father to enable all those future followers, we're now in that section which is for all of us, to enter into the same submitted, dependent relationship with himself and the, father as he, and, and the Father as he had with the Father. Here's what he requested. I pray that they may all be one in just the same way as you, Father, are in me and I am you, in you, that they may also be in us. Let me just stop a second. Whenever I've heard this taught, and I'm pretty sure however I've taught it in the past, I always thought his prayer was that we would get along. Isn't that it? I pray, Father, that they be one. Quit dividing, quit arguing. If they would just settle down and like each other, the world would believe. That's not what he says. He tells us to love each other. There are other passages that want us to do that. Don't misunderstand me. That's not what he's talking about. Being one means it's, 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 it's his language. It's, he means something by that. You know, I, I saw a program the other day called uh, Inside Einstein's Mind. And what they were trying to do is, is help people like me. By the way, I took physics three times. Uh, and I don't know that I finished it. No, I, I, anyway. Um, it was not my forte, though. It is the queen of the sciences. There's no question about it. I should know. They were trying to help you understand the theory of relativity. And so what they, 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 were, they were talking about Einstein. And what Einstein would do 
in his mind is he would reduce it to, a, to something he could see. So whatever he's dealing with, he's trying to see it in his mind's eye. And he reduces it to a simple structure that he can see. And, and, he, and, then, and then, then from there, he makes his decision. Makes total sense. What we step into in this passage, in, in this, this, actually this whole evening with his disciples, this is, this is the theory, Jesus' theory of relativity. I mean, this is not simple stuff. It, it, it's all basic. In fact, if you can see it, it all makes total sense. But you can't just plod through this thing. You have to say, what does he mean by the word one? What does he mean by the word glory here? What does he mean? I mean and what does he mean by in? I'm in the Father. The Father's in me. You and me. I and you. What does that mean? And it does mean something. So I want you to see when he says, Father, I'm praying that they would be one. He doesn't leave it that. In other words, harmonious, peaceful. He's not saying that. I pray that they would be one even as you, Father, are in me and I'm in you. They would be one like we are. They would be in in a relationship that you and I have. Let's go back. We saw already the special meaning Jesus gave to the word in when we studied an earlier description of his relationship with the Father. He had said, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And by saying that he was in the Father, he was revealing that he was totally submitted to and dependent upon the Father. And by saying that the Father was in him, he was revealing that the Father was the source of everything he said and did. Do you follow that? The word glory, because he, now he uses the word glory here. The word glory has different meanings depending on how the word is used in a particular passage. Glory can refer to the brilliant light produced by the holiness of God and the glory shown all around them. The glo- it can refer to the honor given to somebody. You give him glory and honor Or it can refer to the active presence of the Holy Spirit. And it is this last meaning which seems to best fit into the statement Jesus made here. He said, and the glory which you gave me, I have given to them so that they may be one even as we are one. Okay, that is just a loaded statement. If it was Jesus baptized in the Holy Spirit, when did that happen? It, exactly right. At the Jordan River. Look, this is really important. You've just, I, just keep, I say it, but we just keep having to come back to it and, and make it really clear in our minds. Jesus did not do what he did as, as uh, the Son of God. He is the Son of God. He came from heaven. He, he just said it lately. <laughs> we just read it. He says, the glory you gave me from before the foundations of the world. It's, so he has existed from forever. But he became... In Mary's womb, one of us. He has a body, soul, and spirit, just like you have a body, soul, and spirit. He is, he is as human as you are to this day. He's as human as you are. He became one of us. So how did he do the miracles and wonders that he did? He did them because he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. It was at that moment, after that Jordan River, he came up out of the water, heavens opened, my, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, and the Spirit of the Lord came and remained on him, came upon him, so that when he healed, he was following, this, as it were, the Spirit's lead. He was listening, it's what he said, he was listening to what the Spirit said. And he said, Father, the glory you gave me, I have given to them. Who's the baptizer in the Holy Spirit? 
I was hoping for a, a ready answer there, right? Right in there. I mean, I'm going to try this again. Who's the baptizer in the Holy Spirit? Oh, wow. The Father's the source. Jesus is the baptizer. He says, I will ask the Father and he, and he, and he, will, he, and, and he will give this to me. And I am the one who will pour out the Holy Spirit upon you. The glory which you gave me, I have given to them. Are we clear? So he's the one through him has come to us that same baptism with the Holy Spirit. Why? So they can be one. They can follow the lead of the Spirit. They can do what they see me do. They can speak what they hear me speak, even as I have done what I saw you do and speak what I heard you speak. So they can walk like I've walked. He was again speaking of a future event as if it had already occurred. He considered the glorious baptism of the Holy Spirit a work which had already taken place. That, the, that indwelling by the Spirit would make it possible for his disciples to have the same depth of relationship with himself and the Father as he and the Father had with each other. To observe Jesus or listen to him was the same as observing or listening to the Father himself. So when he prayed that all who believed in him would be one as he and the father were one and that they would be in us, the father and the son, we realized that he was asking that his church would be able to respond to and be dependent upon God with the same moment by moment intimacy, which he and the father had modeled for the past two and a half years. Walking in the spirit. In his prayer, Jesus said he had taught things that evening which would allow his disciples to be filled up with his joy. Listen again. Would you read this with me? But now I come to you, Father, and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. In other words, if they would obey the lessons that he taught that night, they would discover his source. What did he teach them? Basically, he taught them how to walk in the spirit. The term walk in the spirit is Paul's, but it was Jesus who first modeled it. And it was he who made it possible for us to do it. Because of his cross and the resurrection, because he has given, us the, Holy, has given the Holy Spirit to believers without measure, we now can have the Holy Spirit dwelling with us, in us as he did in Jesus. And because of that miracle, we can do what we see him do and speak what we, can, we hear him speak just as Jesus did. That's what it means to walk in the spirit. How different this is than what you see and read about in much of church history. Church history has to do with battles. <laughs> it has to do with cathedrals. It has to do with organizational structures and people in high places uh, and, and, and positions, doesn't it? Much of it. And yet what he's talking about are his people walking in the same intimacy with God moment by moment, literally so that as you go through the day, you're letting the spirit show you what to do. You're listening to him. You're talking with him. You're watching for what he's telling you to do. You're speaking what your hearts. I mean, he says something to you and you test it and then you speak. You're walking in this intimacy. That's what he thought Christianity was. 
And we've turned it into an organization, a hierarchy, a structure, a way of making a living. We've, we've ruined his church. So he said, he, his prayer that night was, Father, I pray that they may be one with us. The way you and I, Father, have operated. I pray that my people will operate the same way. And if they will, the world will see you. The world will believe that I am your son. The world will understand this is real if they see that. Not just that we get along, but that we see that. Are you willing? Have you already? Learn to walk in the spirit. It's, it's, a, it's a totally different approach. Actually, within the whole Christian church, it's almost a dividing line. There are those who want to walk with, with, with God in a, in a completely rational way. They want a set of principles. They want to do something by a list. Everything is mechanical. They want to just do that. It's not wrong in a certain sense. I mean, you can go to heaven that way. I'm just telling you that the way the Lord envisions it is a spirit-led people. Full of his spirit, led by him, as though they were living seeds being cast into a field. So that each one of us then becomes a source of his life. So wherever we go, wherever you put us, as we're listening, as we're following, we become people that transform. And, and the, the gospel goes through us. The love of God goes through us. The healing power of God goes through us. Deliverance goes through us. And, 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 and his church grows. That's the way he envisions it. But if we walk in the spirit, where will he lead us? He will always lead us away from possessions, away from pleasure, away from entertainment, and away from isolation. Into situations which we are partnering with him as he's saving, healing, rescuing, and comforting people. If I follow the spirit, if I walk in the spirit, if I wake up and say, Jesus, today is your day. Guide me today. Be with me today. I promise you, he's not going to say, hey, today we're going to make six figures, man. I'm going to make you the top dog in this place. He, he, he didn't care a bit about that stuff. I mean, you may end up the top dog, but it'll be because he wants you there as an influence and a pastor, in a sense, over that organization, over that situation. He may give you six figures, but it's so that you can use that and sow seed and, and, and God has guided you. It has nothing to do with our exaltation. It has all to do with bringing the kingdom of God to a lost world while they still can hear. Why does this cause joy? The Holy Spirit will show us what Jesus is doing. And Jesus is always doing what the Father is doing. So if we follow Jesus, he will always lead us out of our own comfort zone and into ministry opportunities that are painfully selfless or way too tough to handle. Yet it's in those moments of surrender to his will, of stepping out by faith into what we see him doing or speaking what we hear him saying, that his adequacy comes upon us. Would you read this with me? Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything is coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. That word, Paul, that's Paul's statement. He's, he says the word adequate means enough. When you look at yourself, you'll say, I can't do this. 
I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm too, I'm too this. I'm too that. I'm too this. I'm too that. I can't do it. And the fact is, you're right. You can't. He's not looking at you thinking you can do it. He's looking for a willing servant. Because he's going to do it. And this is the wonder of it all. And actually, this is the source of joy. He comes into the situation. And he takes us and goes beyond it. I'll tell you a little of my own story. Believe it or not, I'm shy. Uh, it's true. Uh, I was raised in a really awkward kind of situation. A lot, a lot of brokenness and that. And so, uh, so I'm just glad my wife has got good social skills. Um, and I, I, I live with that. The last thing in the world I enjoy doing in a, in a, in a personal sense is standing in front of anybody and talking. The, my flesh looks forward to the day I can crawl off the stage and never do it again. I have been doing this for 45 years. Oh my goodness. For 45 years, somebody calculated, and that was only speaking twice a week, which over 5,000 times I have spoken. When I first started in the ministry, I, didn't, I backed my way into this. I, had, I, had, I just loved Jesus. I really did, and I wanted to. And so this, I just sort of followed where I was led. Watch out. <laughs> I followed where I was led. And so I became a youth minister, and I, I remember... Uh, having a little back house in, in, in Arcadia, California, and, and, and I would have to go to my, my meeting. On a, it was on a Sunday night, one of them, and, and so I'm sitting in my car, and I'm just feeling overwhelmed. I'm frightened. I got nothing to say, and I just stick my head in the steering wheel, and I go, oh, God, don't make me go. And They don't like me. I don't like them. Oh, God, help us all. And the fear, uh, the anxiety, you, can you, any of you relate to this? The sense of, I got nothing to say. This is, what I got, this is stupid what I've got here. You, you, feel that, you feel that shame. You feel that, that kind of stuff. And I'm just feeling, oh, God, I got to go. You know, so I'd start the car. You know, and I'd drive over there full of joy. <laughs> and then I'd, then I'd get out of my car, and I'd always have a guitar and a Bible. And, I, and then we were in a, uh, what they call the fellowship hall. And, and I go walk around the corner, and I, I look in the window. Oh, they're here. Oh they're, oh, they're all here. Okay, Lord, here we go. And I take out my guitar, and I start leading them in worship. And just the funniest thing happens in that worship. I start feeling better. And my heart starts lifting up, and... I'm teaching the word and God's showing up and I'm watching kids get saved and stuff. And I suddenly feel this wonderful joy. He, I can feel he's with me. He's with us. You know, there, is there anything sweeter than life than that, those moments when the Lord's there? Yeah. It's just like, oh. It's like coming up out of water and you can finally breathe. Oh. I've been down there way too long. He's here. He's with me. This is Jesus' source of joy. 
He says, I pray that my joy may be in them as they learn to walk with me in the spirit, as I have walked with you, Father, that they will have the same source of joy. We literally can feel him working through us, speaking through us. In those moments, we find ourselves being carried along by his presence. Weariness vanishes. Self-pity is forgotten. Inadequacy gives way to marvel. As we watch him work through us, what seemed frightening, exhausting, or overwhelming before we started, amazingly leaves us refreshed and joyful. It's a miracle a person simply can't believe until they have experienced it. But a person, once a person has tried it and repeated the process often enough to discover that it works and will keep on working whenever we need it, then at some point that person will realize that Jesus has shown him or her his source of joy. I've been doing it 45 years. 5,000 times. This weekend is no exception. I felt overwhelmed and weary. It's like, I don't know how to do this as I came to church last night. And not the hot, it's just today. And yet, as you step into what you're called to do, that sweet presence is always there. I can tell you, if you're new, if you're young, if you're starting out, if you're stepping out saying, will he help me last time? Will he help me again? He will never fail you. If you seek him, he will never fail you. This is your birthright. You don't get it occasionally. You don't get his help occasionally. He won't show up once in a while and sort of keep your, keep your surviving. If you press for him, he will always be there for you. I stepped out of ministry, as it were. I mean, not on the ministry, but I, I taught at the Bible college for three years. Let me tell you, that's really different than being a pastor. Uh, the cool thing is you, the students have to please you. You can flunk them. It was, it was wonderful power. I mean, I had. And so I got these students, and, 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 I, and, and they have to please me and everything else. And I'm, it's hard work, and I love doing it. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not downgrading being a, a, a Bible college teacher. It was a great, great experience. But it wasn't the same thing. For me, the fear, the pressure, I, I somehow need the heavy pressure. I need, I need to be scared. I need to be out of my depth. I need to feel miserable. <laughs> if I'm going to find the joy. And so I would go to class. I would teach these things. I had uh, wonderful students. I'd come home and I'd barbecue. And I'd go to church on the weekend. Come on. And I'd hope the guy would have something to say, you know, that I could enjoy. And I'd, I, I, I lived like, like, life like that. But the, I, without that scary pressure, I declined. I just withdrew. I grew numb. I just, I'm still a Christian. I still believe that stuuff. But that intimacy, that... Seeing what he's doing, that desperation, that, oh, God, i got to have you. wasn't there. And I knew I had to go back and pastor. I had to get back into that place where I was miserable. And so what did I do? I went and planted a church in Tempe, Arizona. Talk about scary, huh? Uh, scared out of my, my wits. Uh, and, and it took me probably three years I, I, to get back to the place where I'm walking with him in that warmth. 
People, you have to let him pull you out of your comfort zone. You have to let him put you in that scary place. You have to be in a place where you desperately need him. And, I, and he will show up every time. And that joy will fill you and strengthen you. It's, I, I call it in my own mind the Caleb principle. Remember Caleb? Uh, he was 80 years old and he said, and I go to battle like a young man. Now, everybody else had died. There's something about walking with God in these painful places. You feel like you're dying. You think this is going to kill me. But the funny thing is, not only does it not kill you, it keeps you young. And while everybody else is kind of getting decrepit, you're still going. How does that work? It's Caleb. It's walking in faith. It's walking in the spirit. God, it feels like you're dying, but you're not. You're alive. Let him pull you out. Let him, whatever he's challenging you to do, whatever he's saying, I want you to do this. And you go, oh, I can't do that. There you go. Now, you, now you're on track. <laughs> Just say, okay, God, I'm going to do this. Oh, Lord. And you, and you walk in it. And then do it again. And then do it again. And then do it again. And I will not promise you that the pain will go away. I promise you the joy will always be there. This is why... People return from a mission and want to go back. This is why people who have access to the world's possessions, pleasures, entertainments, and isolation walk away from them and spend their lives ministering to others like the lowliest servant. They're not crazy. They've found the true source of joy. It's being with Jesus in the middle of what he's doing. I love that. That's a good statement. Would you say it's being with Jesus in the middle of what he's doing? They've learned to say, in your presence is fullness of joy. Would you quote that? In your presence is fullness of joy. Hallelujah. That's Psalm 1611. Where do I start? To find Jesus' source of joy, we have to learn how to walk in the Spirit, which requires us to function at a level of intimacy with God just like he did. And the remarkable fact is, it's possible. We can learn to live prophetically. We can learn to pray the right things. We can learn to watch for his power as we minister. There are, these are not skills meant only for the elite few. They are the means by which every believer becomes adequate for any situation. It's a way of living with God which is available to every believer, but we have to desire it. And we have, and have, some, we have some deep choices to make if we're going to receive it. Here are five that Jesus mentioned in his prayer. Number one, learn these things. Would you say learn these things? Jesus told the father that he had taught his disciples things that evening. That's the Greek. That's actually the word he uses that that would fill them with his joy. We listed some of those truths earlier, but let's hear them again. We must. So what I'm doing right now is I'm giving you a summary, a bird's eye view of the, of the topics he covered that evening, those things that he had just taught them. I believe that, <clears throat> pardon me, but let's hear them again. We must learn to remove the daily accumulation of sins. I believe this keeps our conscience free from condemnation. Today we'll take communion. We always have communion here. Why? It's just one vehicle. One person doesn't have to use communion, but it's a wonderful, vivid way 
of bringing our sins to him, our sorrows to him, our sickness to him. You've got to constantly come back and unload or it accumulates. You're, 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 you're weary, you're angry, you're ashamed. That, that stuff just holds on to you. It has to be confessed. It has to be dumped. You have to get rid of it constantly, washing your feet. Communion is a powerful, beautiful way to do it. We'll do that in a little bit. This has always been a precondition. Pardon me. We must learn to love one another. That has always been a precondition for the, for the presence of the Holy Spirit. What does Psalm 133 say? I, I, that's a beautiful psalm. He says, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. There you have it. And then he says, it's like the oil upon the head coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, coming down upon the edges of his robes. Now, what's, what did he just do? David says, it's like that horn of anointing oil. See, if we anoint you with oil here, we'll use a little bottle and you'll have a little glistening spot right there. You know, we'll just kind of, there you go. And, and that's fine. When, when, when they anointed Aaron, the high priest, they took a whole horn and just poured it over him. And it came pouring down his face, drizzled off of his beard and all over his robes, front and back. He's just soaked in oil. What's that for? Anointing for ministry. The Spirit's coming upon him. Why would David know what that felt like? Why would he get down to the details of it drizzling off one's beard and onto one's robe? It had happened to him. When did it happen? Remember? He gets called in from, from out with a with 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 sheep. And there's Samuel and, and the brothers all going. And Samuel takes that horn of oil. And he pours it over him. And from that moment on, it said the spirit came upon David. Hallelujah. David, David so knows what this feels like. And then he went on in that psalm and he said, it's like the, the dew of Hermon. Now, Mount Hermon's 9,400 feet high. So it's got alpine meadows. This is, this is a permanently green areas. And, and even snow that remains through most of the year. So he says, it's like the dew of Hermon coming down on the mountains of Zion. Zion's where the temple is. It's in Jerusalem. In other words, where the people worship. He says, for there the Lord established his, his blessing, life forever. When you and I love each other, when the people of God love each other, when a family loves each other, when a marriage loves each other, when there's that kind of harmony and peace, the spirit of God will come. The shalom of the Lord will settle. And where there is strife, where there is bitterness, where there is harshness, the Spirit of God lifts in terms of active presence, just as that way. We must be confident that He has prepared a place for us in heaven. Why would you give up the world if there isn't if it's something waiting? It's knowing that heaven is waiting for us that allows us to go let go of the world. We must be confident that when we ask the Father for anything. That Jesus told us to ask for. That's what it means to pray in his name. He will give it to us. Spiritual boldness is essential to all forms of effective ministry. We must know that the Holy Spirit indwells us. It is the shock of meeting the living God that awakens our spiritual senses. It isn't just you know about him. But at the moment when that, when that spirit of the Lord comes and upon you in power. You, you go from thinking about God that you believe in as a concept to a person who's here in the room. Did you see the difference? 
And once you see a thing, you can't unsee it. Once you've met him, he never is a concept again. Do you follow this? But until you've met him, I would argue, it, he will remain a concept. I'm not saying you can't get saved somehow on a concept. I think you can, but it's pretty weak soup. It's not, it's not what God asked for. He asked us to meet him. He wants us to know him. He wants to be in the room. A person, not a concept, you, you affirm. Spiritual boldness is, a, I read that, it is the shock of meeting the living God that awakens our spiritual senses. We must be certain that we are never alone. We must find the strength to, keep, to step out in faith because we know, pardon me, we find the strength to step out in faith because we know he is always with us. We must understand the importance of staying in constant relationship with Jesus. Apart from him, we dry up. And to stay in relationship with him, we must obey him. We must expect persecution so that when it arrives, we won't be confused by it. And we must learn to rely on the Holy Spirit to show us what Jesus is doing and enable us to hear what he is saying. He will lead you into all truth, for he will, he will reveal to you me, says Jesus. I just summarized what he taught them that evening. He says these things. Notice what they are. Everything about us, you and me, walking with Jesus. Everything about having a living, spirit-led, powerful relationship with God. He says, these things I've just spoken so these men can hear it. And he says, I've done it so they can be one. They can walk like I've walked. And if I, they do, the world will believe. Number two, sanctify ourselves. Would you say that? Jesus can't do this for us. This is a choice each of us must make for ourselves. In practice, it is a decision we make over and over again. We decide to separate ourselves from the world, meaning its ruler and its goals, and follow Jesus' call to proclaim him to the world. There are many ways he will lead each of us to do this, but the decision to obey is real and painful. Number three, decide to be one. Would you say that? This requires a decision to let him lead on a daily basis. It's actually a very humbling step. Will I stop leading? Will I stop living for my own goals? Will I stop trying to handle matters by myself? Will I become his servant day by day and moment by moment? Will I watch and listen for his heart in a matter and then do what he shows me to do? Do you hear it? You and I literally abdicate that throne. And we, we aren't puppets. We are children. But, I mean, we're talking about the living God here. And he is not in our league. And so we say, Father, what do you want here? Guide me, Father. What is your will here, Father? And, and everything changes that way. I'll tell you, you become, it's the sweetest, most healing step a person can take. That's when your life changes. Until we stop making our own decisions, you'll keep inheriting the mess you've been producing all these years. But when you and I start saying, Father, not my will, but yours be done. What do you want here? I guarantee you, you won't like what he says. And I guarantee you, if you'll do it, you'll be blessed. It'll work over and over again. Your whole life will take a different course. Number four, receive the glory. Would you say that? When he ascended into heaven, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit so we could do what he did. 
He called that gift the glory in this, in this prayer and the baptism of the Holy Spirit on the day he ascended into heaven. Each of us must satisfy our own heart that we have fully received this gift. Number five, long to, to be where he is. Would you say that? Jesus prayed, Father, I desire that those whom you have given me, this great family of believers, may behold my glory, that glory which you gave me because you loved me before the founding. The, word, the Greek word is casting down. It's fascinating. Before the casting down of the world. In the future, when his work of salvation on earth is complete, all the redeemed, resurrected children of God will join Jesus in heaven and behold his full glory. As the eternal son the triumphant savior and the eldest brother over the father's household. This above all others becomes our motivation for everything we do. We want to be where he is. Say that. This is not about you and I simply getting out of hell. This is about being with Jesus. Amen. And if, if that isn't sweet to you, you've got, you've got real trouble ahead. You're going to be with him. The more we know him, the, the more we fall in love with him. It's just like, it's like breath to us. And so he says, here's your future. You're going to be with me. You're going to see my glory. You're going to live in it. You're going to be resurrected. You're, and where is Jesus? Right at the Father's right hand. So we can too. We can literally be, I mean, it's just what he's promised is just unspeakable. It's so glorious. His, his source of joy. He prayed that evening that his source of joy would become our source. And we've learned today that his joy isn't simply a happy feeling. It's feeling close. It's getting in the middle between him and those he's caring for. And the sweetness of his presence that flows over them and us brings a level of joy like no other. The path to that joy seems to go in the wrong direction. It leads us to put the needs of others ahead of ourselves. It leads us down the same path he walked and invites us to follow. Listen, would you read this with me? Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Those who follow him down that path sense his pleasure in what they are doing. And they recognize that the Holy Spirit comes to help them do it successfully. But I think the greatest joy of all comes when we understand that we are bringing joy to our Heavenly Father which is the very thing we were all created to do. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.